Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Well, hello, and welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. I'm Marcus, and alongside me is Mr. Nick Chaffee. Hello. Now, Nick is the man that loves movies so much that he's currently working on an epic Civil War romantic film about a woman who runs off with an alcoholic drink that tastes of juniper berries. It's something that he's called Gone with the Gin. <laughs> I, I would watch that. <laughs> It would be worth watching. Yeah. Coming up on today's show, we're jumping back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we review their latest offering, Captain Marvel. And if you like a nail-biting documentary about a man that makes Spider-Man look like an amateur, then you'll want to hear our film-to-rent review, Free Solo. We've also got regular feature the Take 5 movie quiz with five classic film quotes for you to identify. But right now, here's Nick with the latest movie news. So the headlines this week. Netflix responds to Steven Spielberg's attack on movie streaming and James Bond to drive electric Aston Martin in new movie. Streaming giant Netflix has responding to increasing criticism from the film industry with a defiant statement on social media saying, We love cinema. Multi-Oscar winning director Steven Spielberg became the latest high-profile figure to criticise Netflix, saying its reluctance to release films in cinemas was harming the motion picture theatrical experience. Without naming Spielberg, Netflix released a short statement which read, We love cinema. Here are some things we also love. Access for people who can't always afford or live in towns without theatres. Letting everyone, everywhere, enjoy releases at the same time. Giving filmmakers more ways to share art. These things are not mutually exclusive. Spielberg's comments originated in an acceptance speech at the Cinema Audio Society's award ceremony where he received the Filmmaker Award. In his speech he said, I hope all of us really continue to believe that the greatest contributions we can make as filmmakers is to give audiences the motion picture theatrical experience. I'm a firm believer that movie theatres need to be around forever. There's nothing like going to a big dark theatre with people you've never met before and having the experience wash over you. That's something we all truly believe in. In his role as a governor of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists, or AMPAS, Spielberg is also reported to be backing a proposal that Oscar eligibility rules for films distributed by streaming services should change. IndieWire quoted a representative of his production company Amblin as saying, Stephen feels strongly about the difference between the streaming and theatrical situation. He'll be happy if the others will join his campaign when that comes up at the next Academy Board of Governors meeting. He will see what happens. Spielberg's intervention is part of mounting concern in the industry at the ubiquitous presence of the Alfonso Cuarón-directed Roma in the major awards ceremonies in 2019. Roma won four BAFTAs, including Best Film, four Critics' Choice Movie Awards, and three Oscars, although missing out on Best Film. Despite universal critical acclaim for the film, Netflix's expensive marketing campaign caused considerable disquiet, as well as its customary practice of ignoring the traditional 90-day exclusive theatrical window before releasing films onto the home entertainment platforms. In the UK, cinema chains View and Cineworld have objected to Roma's inclusions in the BAFTA Awards, with Cineworld withdrawing its support entirely. 
However, dissenting voices include Spielberg's fellow director Paul Schrader, who was nominated for Best Original Screenplay Oscar for First Reformed. In a lengthy social media post, Schrader said that distribution models evolve and that Netflix allows many financially marginal films to have a platform, and that's a good thing. But he also noted the vast sea of Netflix products that militates against austere films, such as First Reformed, and that even if the stream service had picked it up, it would have been relegated to film esoterica. Schrader also suggested that independent cinemas join with streaming services to offer new distribution models. What a huge can of worms that's opened. It's, yeah. I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. I'm, I'm not entirely sure where to where to fall on this. Basically, I mean, people are sort of questioning the where, where the, the line between film and TV lies, I suppose, with this new, uh, new release model. So I think speaking to someone who has said in the past that I would prefer it if netflix did release more films to cinemas simply so i could you know i could watch them on a, on a big screen like i like i prefer to which amazon have been pretty good about doing i honestly don't know i think at the end of it it's good that the uh the films are made and can be seen in the first place um i don't know what do you fall on this i think it'd be such a, a sad state of affairs if we got to the point where streaming uh, basically killed the cinema mm. do you think we'll get to that i don't know it's um it's a sort of evolving <laughs> time at the moment i remember a few years ago i think steven spielberg and james cameron i think george lucas as well they were talking about the possibility of new cinematic releases being available to rent immediately for you know for a much larger price than the than normal rentals um i don't know if that's something that might happen or or not Going out to the cinema is an experience, it's a treat, it's something that, yeah. that you shouldn't be doing every day, like you could with streaming. I think you've, with streaming films, Netflix, Amazon, whatever your choice of platform, you can watch a great film and then put another one on straight away, mm-hmm. and then put another one on and sort of binge through films, and never really have that experience where you go to the cinema and you you come out of it hopefully feeling like you've just experienced something special mm. and you've got a journey home and you think about it and I know when I was a little kid and you come out and you think about all the favourite parts of the film and your, your heroes in the film mm-hmm. and I just kind of wonder whether you will lose that if streaming was to dominate perhaps Maybe. it's I mean as frustrating as it is I think it's one of those things where I, I just have to say we'll, we'll wait and see yeah. <laughs> really because it's so um yeah, some, from very nuanced opinions uh, across the board, all with you know good points to make. Yeah, um, none of them are mine, <laughs> unfortunately. <clears throat> Long haul flights, tons of guns, and a bagpipe flamethrower. Such are the special demands of his career that James Bond has never been considered a poster boy for an eco-friendly lifestyle. But next year's 25th Bond film looks set to have Ian Fleming's hero make his first concession to climate change by driving an electric Aston Martin, albeit one which retails at £250,000. According to reports, the film, whose working title of Shatterhand was recently debunked, will see Daniel Craig's 007 behind the reel of a Aston Martin Rapide E, one of only 155 electric cars being built by the British manufacturer. The Sun reports that director Kerry Joji Fukunaga has spearheaded the change, with their source describing him as, um, this might be a little bit contentious, a total tree hugger. 
This is something that Carrie pushed for and Daniel and the producers are going along with. Some might be afraid of Bond getting labelled 2PC, but they all felt the time was right to put him in a zero-emission vehicle. Aston Martin's relationship with the Spy franchise began in 1964 when Sean Connery drove a DB5 sports car in Goldfinger. Shooting on the new film is expected to start in April after a series of delays involving the replacement of Danny Boyle as director following reported creative differences between he and producers Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. More recently, last-minute script alterations pushed the release back a further three months to April 2020. Rami Malek, who won an Oscar last month for his performance as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, is reported to be in final negotiations to take on the role of the chief villain. What's your thoughts on electric cars, Nick? They, they go fast. That's... That's all that matters. And that's exactly the case with this one. Yeah. It's like 600 horsepower, this car. Is it? So, oh, okay. I it's not It's not slow. It's not like a milk float or something. No, I mean, I would have thought for a spy, it would probably, probably be better because it would be much quieter. Too. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> I'm more disappointed that, that Danny Boyle's not involved anymore. Yeah, that, that would have been interesting to see. Um, but, I mean, you know, I'm a fan of what Carrie uh, uh, Fuganaga's made previously. Beast of Nation for... Uh, that was a film for Netflix. Yeah. And the, the first season of True Detective as well, which was excellent. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just as intrigued to see what he comes up comes up with. I, I, I bet he's got his hands tied behind his back on this one, though. Uh, I, I feel like anyone would have. To, that, that might have been a reason why Danny Boyle I left. So. I think. Yeah. Well, let's see what... <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, I'm just, just disappointed with that, but hopefully the um, the electric... Aston Martin, rapidly. We'll make up for it. <laughs> In a world fraught with corruption, two men united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find... Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you... The Sunshine Cinema Show. Okay, let's give you a rundown now of our top five UK box office films. And we start at number five with How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Uh, this is the third instalment of the animated family favourite. Yep, uh, I got a, a meta score of, uh, sorry, a Metacritic score of 71, which, just to explain quickly, Metacritic, what they do is they uh, take all of the reviews that a film has received, all of the professional reviews, and uh, sort of give the the average score out of out of a hundred. So seventy one. That's um, pretty good. That's um, three to four stars. Excellent. And at number four, we have Instant Family, starring Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. Uh, this is the story of a couple that find themselves in over their heads when they foster three children. Yeah, a little bit lower for this one. Met a score of fifty seven. But the, the, the views I've heard have been um, surprisingly well, surprised with how good it was. And the, tra- the trailer did look charming. At number three, we have the Lego Movie 2, the second part. Yes, which we uh, reviewed on the programme um, a while ago. Now, it's been, been on the chance five weeks now. Um, I think both it and How to Train Your Dragon came out at the same time, sort of uh, February half-term. So, you know, it's good to see that they're both, both still hanging in there, both in there. In the case of Lego Movie 2, uh, not quite as good as the original, but still, still very good, still very funny, and some excellent musical numbers as well. And number two, we have Fighting With My Family. Yep, yeah, we were on the programme last time. This has done really well, I think, for a, for such a, uh, a small film. Well, we gave it, we gave it a seven, didn't we? It surprised a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, well, including me as well. I wasn't too sure what to, what to expect. Um, but I think the, the script is what makes it 
work by uh, Stephen Merchant, also some fantastic performances by uh, Florence Pugh and uh, Nick Frost as well, who's always enjoyable. Um, the Rock as well, playing himself in a, a few key scenes. So he's <laughs> also on board as a, as a producer. Um, yeah, really, really good effort. And at number one in the UK box office, we have Captain Marvel, which we will be reviewing very shortly. Mm, it's, it's extremely number one as well. <laughs> By like, a long way. I'll, I'll gross the rest of the uh, top ten combined. At number five in the UK film rentals chart, we have Hunter Killer. This stars uh, Gerard Butler, who's the captain of an American submarine on a mission to rescue the kidnapped Russian president. Yes. Um, what's the name of the other actor in this one? I've just... Names just completely escaped me. Gary Oldman, that's it. <laughs> just trying to figure. Meta score of forty-three, so uh, not too great on that one. On the, in the sub fifty category, I keep seeing the um, the uh, the poster for that one on the um, the rental service I use for watching films, and I'm always surprised that there's an action movie featuring uh, Gary Oldman with a bowl cut. <laughs> no one wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, we've, we've passed over it a couple of times as our as our review choice, so. Yeah. Not not even we can be persuaded. Uh, number four, we have Venom. Yes, um, which we haven't reviewed on the program, but I um, saw a few months ago for my sins. It's, I mean, it's it's garbage, but it's kind of enjoyable in a, in a weird way. Tone-wise, it's kind of a, a throwback to the very early days of the um, the superhero genre, like the early 2003s. So sort of, I, I compare it to the likes of um, you know the the early X Men movies. And I suppose the later X Men movies as well. It's, it's kind of lightweight, but um, Tom Hardy's performance is does have to be seen to be believed. It's really, I think it's good. It's certainly impressive. <laughs> it's a performance. It is. <laughs> that can't be denied. At number three, we have The Grinch, uh, the animated tale, uh, voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch and narrated by Pharrell Williams. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. I, I believe he had something to do with a score as well, which is oh, sure did. You know, following on from his um, his work on Despicable Me. Um, made a score of 51 for this one, which I, I believe probably isn't as good as the uh, uh, the original, I want to say, 60s animated version. Hmm. Yeah, taking it back at least to the 60s, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think it's a sort of standard fare from the uh, Illumination studio, who also gave us Despicable Me and, and Minions. Not a lot of people seeing it, but then it's it's a Christmas movie and it's coming out in March, so <laughs> maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. uh, number two, we have A Star is Born. Yep, uh, reviewed previously on the programme, uh, previously featured in the top ten of, of last year. Um, excellent work, I think, from, from everyone, the cast. Um, it's a, an incredible directorial debut from uh, Bradley Cooper. Songs are great, even, I mean, even work on their own as songs. And, as I've said before, still really works as a fantastic experience, even outside of, of the cinema. On, on the TV, it works just as well as it did on the mixed screen. And at number one in the UK film rentals chart, we have Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, yeah, which I suppose now is probably a good time for a recap because, <laughs> yeah, just to recap what our official movie was. I did not care for it uh, at the time. I, I, I just, it, it just felt like they took the Wikipedia article on Queen and sort of gently summarised it, and then sort of had to invent some drama where there there was none. Um, and just sort of left us as quite a, a sour taste in my mouth, really, because the only ma- the only member of Queen that co- that sort of comes away looking slightly uh, um, bad is the one person who's not alive to uh, defend their corner, really. And I, I think that's I don't I don't want to read too much into that, but it's something that I couldn't ignore, really. And that f- for me was um, 
well, that was, that was the end of it, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, it did throw me a little bit in the, in the cinema with the musical scenes, but then it's 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 Queen songs. They're gonna they're gonna do that anyway. I think this is the reason why it's at number one because people love Queen. They love the music of Queen. Mm. Rami Malek's performance, he put on a darn good show. Yeah, see, I I I I, I say good things about that all the time, but that, even that sort of in my mind is sort of diminished a little bit because I, I keep picturing the prosthetic teeth he had to wear for it, which were. Uh, a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I always hesitate to talk too much about it because my opinion is so sort of far removed from the general consensus of the public. So, you know, in the in the coming months where it continues to be in the top five, I think maybe we'll just sort of quickly talk about it and then skip ahead. <laughs> well, coming up next, uh, Winger of the Earth film set in the mid-90s, which follows Carol Danvers as she becomes Captain Marvel. That's right, it's now time to review Captain Marvel, rated 12A. Captain Marvel is an extraterrestrial Kree warrior who finds herself caught in the middle of an intergalactic battle between her people and the Skrulls. Living on Earth in 1995, she keeps having recurring memories of another life as US Air Force pilot Carol Danvers. With help from Nick Fury, Captain Marvel tries to uncover the secrets of her past while harnessing her special superpowers to end the war with the evil Skrulls. Ho ho! You want to get personal. Where were you born? Huntsville, Alabama, but technically I don't remember that part. Name your first pet. Mr. Snoofers. Mr. Snoofers. That's what I said. Did I pass? Not yet. First job? Soldier. Straight out of high school. Left the ranks of full bird colonel. Then? Spy. Where? It was the Cold War. We were everywhere. Uh, Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. I like to be as I can make them ride. Now? Been riding the desk for the past six years, trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. Never occurred to me they would be coming from above. Name a detail so bizarre a scroll could never fabricate it. <sighs> a toast is cut diagonally. I can't eat it. You didn't need that, did you? No. No, I didn't. But I enjoyed it. Okay, your turn. Prove you're not a scroll. Captain Marvel is written and directed by filmmaking duo Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who previously collaborated on films Half Nelson, Sugar, and it's kind of a funny story. Uh, Geneva Robertson Dwarat also contributed to the screenplay. And she previously wrote uh, Tomb Raider uh, from last year, so uh, she knows how to write about a strong female lead character. Now, Brie Larson stars as Captain Marvel, uh, alongside Samuel L. Jackson. We've also got Ben Mendelsohn and indeed Jude Law. Now, Nick, we've had many a discussion about Marvel films on this show, and I know you're quite partial to them. So let me get straight to the point with this. Do you have anything negative to say about this one? Uh, this, this is something that we specifically brought up at the end of the show last time. Um, I, 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 I agree with you. I have felt for a while that because I'm such a big fan of them, my previous reviews of Marvel movies have been uh, a little bit soft. I, I don't know if you remember, but um, I even spoke glowingly about uh, Thor The Dark World, which is universally regarded as the worst one. <laughs> but, I mean, I think they all have like a... Uh, 
there's like a baseline equality for all of them and you know but while, while I do enjoy them a lot I feel like if I'm going to uh, present myself as a film critic on this show they shouldn't be immune from my uh, criticisms um, so to, to use a sports metaphor just because you're a fan of a, of a particular team that doesn't mean that you should be unable to highlight areas where they could be doing things a, a little bit better I'm sure there's, there's plenty of football fans that can <laughs> agree with that so I, I went into Captain Marvel with that in mind keeping an eye out for things that could have been executed better and I didn't have to wait long I uh, I would say that the film has two big drawbacks and and one of them is the film's very shaky opening because as you sort of mentioned in your, your lead, it, it concerns this long war between two alien races and so naturally there's, there's a lot of uh, exposition that needs to be set up and they, and they do so in one of the earliest scenes which features uh, Annette Benning explaining the situation in a fairly dreary monotone um, and then there's a, a lot of sort of almost fantasy babble words it's the, the kind of thing I can see people who don't like Lord of the Rings complaining about like you are part of a lineage of the, the flippity bong and, 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 and so, so on I mean she's playing an, an AI character in that scene so you know, the monotone kind of makes sense in, in some respects but um, boring your audience is, is not how you want to kick off your big action movie and then that scene is followed up by uh, an action scene featuring a mission on a, a dark planet at night time where it was too dark for me to see most of what was happening now granted this may be due more to the uh, the, the conditions I was watching it in that particular screen in that particular cinema but um, I, I feel like that's just a, a mistake on the um, on the, on the filmmaker's part, it's it's not a it's not a good start. And actually, I mean, this leads into a problem that uh, I realise that a lot of Marvel movies have had, which is the way the action scenes are filmed and and edited. They're often uh, good enough, but they they still suffer from some of the um, uh, there's there's a, like a, a confusing effect, you know, from using lots of different camera angles and uh, very fast cutting between them. And now, given th- this is an issue across all. Marvel movies, so I wouldn't say that it's a fatal flaw for for this film, but as I, as I said, I'm watching it with a, a different mindset than usual, and I think when you consider the the excellent work being done on other big action movies like the Mission Impossible franchise, I think I think the work the action here just doesn't doesn't quite stack up in terms of quality. So for the first time watching one of these films, I was worried. Luckily, once the film gets to Earth and it sort of it finds its feet and its sense of humour, and that's what makes a film work in the end, as with many other Marvel films. But additionally, there's also a very large sense of confidence here. I think in a way it's sort of playing off the same uh, fish out of water and buddy energy that we saw in something like The Long Kiss Goodnight, which uh, incidentally also starred Samuel Jackson in, in a psychic role. And then that energy also uh, lifts up the rest of the film. So while the action scenes may not be great, they at least feel distinctive by the end. And I think that might be more important potentially <laughs> so all that trepidation I felt at the beginning was completely gone at the end and that's it's a task that's made easier by an excellent cast most important of which is Brie Larson in the titular role she, she's a big reason why the film works as well as it does it, it's always tricky to get uh, an audience to care about a character we know nothing about but the the sheer amount of charm and charisma she brings to the role is the the anchor that keeps everything steady. Uh, Samuel Jackson, as good as ever, clearly enjoying having more to do in this one. Ben Mendelsohn, I thought I knew what to expect from him in in this movie, following on from you know s- similar villainous roles in in Rogue One and Ready Player One, without 
giving anything away. I was very surprised by his performance and very entertaining as, as well. The same goes for Jude Law. Both of them very well cast, very, very good. Also, just quickly, because I brought this up last week as well, the the '90s soundtrack isn't as impressive as I hoped. It's it's I mean, it's not in the same league as the the '70s songs from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It's very it's very safe. It's very Radio Two, but the uh, the music choice for a a particular fight scene at the end is is inspired. <laughs> and can I just before you give your score, mm. just give a, a little shout out to the. Uh, the special effects people on their de-aging skills that they use in this film. Yeah, I, I didn't bring it up in the review because I forgot that was a thing. You you don't notice it at all. So good. I mean, they've been using this technique, I don't know, like in 2006, X-Men, Last Stand, with Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, the okay. de-aging that. So it, that was good enough, but now it's whole new level yeah I mean, or even in, in Marvel movies they've sort of done sort of quick shots at the beginning of films but to have one I mean it's another thing to have it go through the whole the whole movie and and you don't notice it at all amazing so yeah I should have found it <laughs> as well okay then Nick give it to your uh, Sunshine Cinema show rating okay uh, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 uh, I think of the three movies I can think of set in the 90s and featuring Samuel Jackson in a psychic role it's probably probably the third best it's not quite as good as the longest Good Nights or Die Hard with a Vengeance, but it succeeds um, on its own merits. I think cast is excellent, especially Brie Larson, and it's a it's a fun watch. So with with that, I believe I've proven to myself and everyone else that I can maintain some critical distance when it comes to reviewing Marvel movies, uh, and I hope people take the time to appreciate that now, because when Avengers Endgame comes out next month, that critical distance is going out the window. I saw the most recent trailer a few days ago, and it made me well up that movie is going to make me ugly cry and i am ready for it thank you nick <laughs> okay still to come um if you are asked to climb a three thousand foot vertical rock formation without a rope or safety equipment you'd probably not be too keen but if you'd like to hear about a man who did just that then you'll find out more soon in our review of free solo then up next is the take five film quiz well, now, Nick, it's that part of the show which I know you've been looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Always. It's the Take 5 Film Quiz. So I have for you this week five of the best romantic movie quotes. And you just need to name the film that the quote is from. Okay. We're slowly going through all of the genres. I thought we could, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. I can't wait for the horror one. <laughs> Just going, ah, five times. Ah, you've seen my script. Ah, sorry. <laughs> now, Nick will only score a point if he can name the film and the actor that said the line. So all you have to do is name the film. So here we go. Five romantic movie quotes. Performed by yours truly. Let's start with number one. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Film quote number two. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. 
un morceau just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her Concrete 3 You likely want to be a better man You likely want to be a better man First time I've had a musical performance of a line <laughs> oh. Number four. You should be kissed, and often, and by someone who knows how. You should be kissed, and often, and by someone who knows how. It's really exposing one of my uh, blind spots of film history, this one. <laughs> and finally, film quote number five. What film is this from? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. There you go, there's your five film quotes. Have a little think about it, and then we will be back with the answers after this. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Right then, let's get the answers. How confident are you feeling, Nick? Um, three out of five. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. We started with what I thought was uh, an easy enough one. Mm-hmm. Easy win. You had me at hello. Yep. So the film is Jerry Maguire. Correct. Um, and the actor, whose name I've definitely spelled wrong on my sheet, <laughs> is uh, Rene Zarwaga. Correct. Yeah. You know, when I, I remember that when, I, um, when the movie came out on video, and there were you know, dozens of copies in the, the local blockbuster, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was, what was it, 95? So I would, I would have been six when it came out I remember seeing the tagline was um, everyone loved him everyone disappeared and it, yeah yeah I, so I, I assumed it was about him being a serial killer <laughs> and I was slightly disappointed when I eventually watched the film and found out that wasn't the case wow that would have been good though yeah especially with that photo of him sort of you know, slightly shot from the back and he sort of got that big grin <laughs> Tom Cruise needs to play more bad guys I think <laughs> he was excellent in the collateral anyway that's a, <laughs> that's a point for me Film quote number two. Uh, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Um, yeah, another famous one, I think. Notting Hill. Correct. And the actor is Julia Roberts. Correct. Film quote number three. This is where I thought it started to get a bit more difficult. I, I agree. You make me want to be a better man. Uh, I've got no idea of this one. Because I think it's so... I was going to say bland, but maybe, maybe just vague. It, it could be, it could be anything. I think. As good as it gets. Okay. Said. So, Jack Nicholson. Correct. Okay. Yeah. You can have half a point for that. Uh, okay. Film quote number four. You should be kissed and often, and by someone who knows how. Bit of a sinister one. <laughs> I thought it should should be like a comedy line. That last bit, and by someone who knows how. Yeah. That's oh. um. Yeah. Bit of, a, bit of a strange common. I don't know. 
Well, what film do you normally go to if you don't know it? Is it, is it Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> it's not. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, it was Gone with the Wind. Oh, really? Rhett Butler. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a lot about that film I don't particularly like, so that sort of yeah. makes sense. This, he says this shortly after telling, telling her that uh, he gets what he wants and there's a price on everything. He's just given her a hat. Yeah. There's a price for that. Romance movies in the sort of the olden days had a very strange attitude towards us. You remember the because like you remember the old couple that you see at the beginning of when Harry met Sally, and he says, "I oh, well, I went to her cafe every day and I asked her out and she always said no and eventually she said yes." <laughs> like, that's, I mean, that, that's that's not good. That's not a good story. Think that could be stalking. Yeah, well, I mean, just just badgering. <laughs> anyway, and finally, film quote number five. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word, and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Okay. This one I do know, because I finally saw it for the first time this Christmas. And it's it's as good as everyone says. It's a big mood, as they say. It's a wonderful life. And the actor is James Stewart. Correct. Well done. Three and a half. Three and a half. I think you did well there, Nick. I think that was a, a, a tough, tough selection this week. Uh, hopefully, uh, you scored as well as Nick, or maybe a little bit better. Congratulations, if you did. Mm-hmm. Now then, do you fancy watching a palm-sweating and heart-racing documentary that will have you gripping the phone right out of your sofa? Well, we review Free Solo next. (laughs) Which leads us rather nicely into our available-to-rent review, which is Free Solo, rated 12A. Professional rock climber Alex Honnold attempts to conquer the first free solo climb of famed El Capitan's 900-metre vertical rock face at Yosemite National Park. The boulder problem has a 10-foot section that's incredibly difficult. It's a very intricate sequence. You've got your right hand on a crimp, left hand on a side pull, and then you put your right foot onto this dimple thing. Right hand goes up to a small downpulling crimp. Left foot goes into a little dish. And then you drive up off the left foot into the thumb press. That's the worst hold on the entire route. So you get maybe half your thumb on the hold. Then you roll your two fingers over the thumb. Switch your feet. Left foot stems out to this really bad sloping black foothold. Switch your thumbs. and then reach out left to a big sloping bread loaf type hold that feels kind of grainy. From there, either karate kick or double dino to an edge on the opposite wall. In some ways, it makes more sense to do the big two-handed jump because you're jumping to a good edge, so there's actually something to catch. But the idea of jumping without a rope seems completely outrageous. If you miss it, that's that. Wow, Nick, that all sounds rather uh, peaceful based on that little clip, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds peaceful, yeah, but um, but only because you can't see what Alex Honnold is doing in that clip, which is a, a very complicated series of manoeuvres on a very small part of the rock face, 1,000 metres off the ground. 
so it's um it's, it's not a relaxing watch <laughs> in any sense I mean, it, it was yeah pretty vertigo inducing from the start uh, and i watched it on a tv so i can only imagine what it would have been like to see that on a big screen or in you know an imax or something um it's pretty difficult to discuss the film without discussing the outcome um, especially seeing as Alex was present at both the uh, the BAFTA and Oscar ceremonies. <laughs> Are we going to mention that? Or? Spoiler alert. Yeah. If you don't want to know what happens, yeah. tune back in in five minutes. Yeah. Of course, you know, I think, bear in mind, if um, if things had ended, ended badly, then I, I don't know if the documentary would have been would have been released. That might have been a that might have been a that might have been illegal. Actually, I'm not too sure. Anyway, um, so I, I did wonder if knowing. Um, about the outcome, like you know, knowing that he'd succeeded um, ahead of watching the film would, you know, maybe potentially ruin the experience for me. It it did not. Knowing that he's still alive was no comfort for me at all when <laughs> when I was watching this. And I think it's important to note the the documentary is uh, self-reflexive as as well. It's not just about the the climb; it's about the people filming it as well. Uh, I, I don't think we often consider the the camera people when it comes to documentaries observing people or, or animals but it, it's a, it's a key part of this film and an interesting one too because and it, it seems obvious in retrospect but the people filming this need to be up there as well <laughs> it's you know something i didn't i didn't think about before before the film brought it up and moreover what what happens if this this doesn't go well is another thing that the, the film asks and there's a, an extremely large chance of it not going well and the, the film tackles all of this the uh conclusion that it comes to isn't really much more than let's see what happens but i think in a way this this reflects the the cavalier attitude that uh, alex honnold himself has so it fits there's not a lot to say about the film beyond that really it's got a pretty brisk pace it's quite a quite a quick and easy watch there's about 80 minutes of preamble and preparation which is interesting and then uh, 10 minutes of the climb which is astonishing but it's also without incidents Almost comically so. Even the people re- recording it sort of kind of react in surprise, saying, oh, he's, he's partway done already. Okay, that's quick. And that's, I think that's refreshing in in a way. There's, there's no dramatic artifice. Well, there's nothing to suggest that sh- there should have been more to the film, but that's kind of all there is, really. There's 80 minutes of Alex Honnold saying, I'm going to do this thing, and then 10 minutes of him doing the thing. And then the film just ends afterwards. I mean, I, I guess there, there isn't much more they could have said or... Or added after the climb was done, but it did end up feeling slightly, slightly hollow for me, which I, th- I think might be a little bit disappointing to say. But the, the rest, the, the stuff that's in there is, is great. It just sort of, just just ends, really. How would you uh, score this one, Nick? Uh, out of ten? Um, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll give it a seven out of ten. I think I've said all that needs to be said. Really, Amanda's a thing. It's very impressive. Uh, the end. <laughs> Really, I mean, it's 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 kind of difficult to to talk about. Really, I think um, yeah, if, if you see the trailer or like even even the poster, I think would be enough to uh, tell you if it's worth watching or not. If that seems impressive, watch the whole thing and be be impressed a bit more. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Up next, we're going to uh, give you a little look at some of the upcoming releases. In a corrupt city where everyone is for sale, they're the best money can't buy. Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, let's have a little look through the upcoming releases at the cinema and on uh, DVDs for rent. Um, starting at the cinema, 
we have White Crow mm -hmm. coming out on March 22nd. This is the story of Rudolf Nuriel's defection to the West. Oh, okay. And some early reports on it are thumbs up. Okay, it's directed by Ray Fiennes, isn't it? Could be exciting. I about that. Yeah, as well. Um, also coming out of the cinema the same week. This is one I've been looking forward to uh, an awful lot. Us, mm. written and directed by Jordan Peele. It's a follow-up to Get Out, which is one of my favorite, <sighs> one of my apps, probably my favorite movie of uh, 2017. It took me a while to get around to watching that because you you mentioned it to me numerous times. Well, this is the thing because it, it came out um, during a time where we were taking a break from the show, so I wasn't here to uh, badger you about seeing <laughs> yeah. it every, every, every fortnight. So maybe that's why it took a while. Mm. But as soon as we connected, that was the first thing I recommended. I you believe. did. Oh, and it was worth it. Yeah, good cast: uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Winston Duke, who was uh, so good in Black Panther as well. Have you seen a poster for this one? No. I will see if I can very quickly get it up on my thing and maybe remove the... Uh, it's a poster worth seeing by the sounds of things. It is, if I can just get it without the uh, overlay frame. There we go. It's very striking, distinctive. Okay, so I'm now looking at the picture of uh, a, a woman with a mask as an extremely scary right eye. She's either got an eye infection or <laughs> something else is going on. That's pretty scary. That's a good poster. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, also at the cinema, the following week on the 29th of March is Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting reaction. <laughs> um, so the, the latest in Disney's uh, uh, sort of method of doing live-action remakes of all of their, <laughs> their animated classics. This one directed by Tim Burton. Yeah. And near as I can tell... Not featuring any crows in this one, so they've uh, you know, dodged a, a very, some, some very <laughs> awkward conversations there, which is good. I mean, I was on the fence about this one, but then I learned that um, Michael Buffer is in this. Do you know who Michael I Buffer is? I don't know who Michael Buffer is. Michael Buffer, he's a um, boxing announcer. He's the uh, Let's Get Ready to Rumble guy. Oh, okay. He is in this, uh, I imagine it's a very, very short cameo, saying, Let's Get Ready to Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was apprehensive about seeing the film. I think I do need to see that, though. It's worth it just for that. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. And Danny DeVito? Danny DeVito is, is back um, with a top hat, because it's a, it's a Tim Burton movie. Um, also starring uh, Colin Farrell, Michael Keaton, and uh, Ava Green as well. All I seem to remember about the original Dumbo is that it was incredibly short. It is. It's like... Um, I think less than 70 minutes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Is it? I mean, yeah. I enjoyed it, like, like many moons ago. We'll see, um, do I have running time on this one? Okay, this one is two hours and ten minutes. Wow. So well, they've made up for it. Yeah. They've, uh, they've added a couple of things, I reckon. Should we move on to DVDs? Yes, yes. Um, uh, i got Creed 2 coming out on uh, the 25th of March. Yes. This is what I, I missed at the cinema, but I was a really big fan of the... Uh, the first Creed movie from a few years ago. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, um, Sylvester Stallone, back again. Uh, this time facing off against uh, Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> who, who is back as <laughs> Ivan Drago and um, his son as well. So, um, I mean, the first one was uh, one of those films that was surprisingly good, I think. And it, on, on a rewatch, it did, um, you know, it did make, make me feel pretty, pretty emotional as well. Because it's not your standard sports story. It's just a, it's about one guy looking for acceptance. Really, he's not looking to you know beat another person into submission he's just doing what he loves and um you know just trying to sort of reconcile that with his the rest of his life as well and his, and his father's legacy as well so it was yeah it was 
very different from your average sports movie. Hopefully, this one um, will be different from your your average sports sequel. <laughs> remains to be seen. Also on DVD, this is one we reviewed on the program previously. I think probably the worst film that we saw last year, Robin Hood. Robin. And do you know what? Unfortunately, we're that close to the end of the show. <laughs> we can't tell you why it was so bad. That, that's it for the Sunshine Cinema. Well, you, you can listen to the previous episode for the Robin Hood one. We, we gave it a good kicking. <laughs> oh, and it deserved it. Take care. Join us next time. Cheerio. If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.